worship exciting is that we have a God that's so exciting, and so we have so many good things to sing about. So praise to him this morning uh, that our worship time here is always good. Secondly, our band just killed it. So let's give them a round of applause, man. There's a lot of talent on the stage, but they also work really hard um, practicing for Sunday morning. So appreciate the efforts they make because it's a lot of fun to to sing with them. So this morning we're going to start off with a little clip from my all-time favorite show. So roll it. So tears were not an ordinary occurrence for Jerry, okay, to say the least. Um, And I'm not quite that bad, but I have been called stoic on several occasions. Um, Anybody else wear that label out there? Any stoic people? Yes. Um, And here's the deal with me, and maybe you can relate to this a little bit. I struggle to cry about real life things, but like I can cry at the movies or sporting events you know, like at the drop of a hat, no problem. Anybody else out there like, yes, that ex- describes me as well? All right, the rest of you are lying, some of you at least. Um, how many of you are just like, cry at the drop of the hat, doesn't take anything? Yeah, people make me sick. <laughs> <clears throat> but the times that I should be crying, right, like with people that I actually know, like that is the hardest time for me to, to bring up any emotion sometimes at all. But on the other hand, like this past week, like I can watch American Idol and like some total stranger to me can sing really well and I'm just like, oh my God, so beautiful, you know, and just like, I'm a mess. Some of you are thinking, well, you're a mess just still for watching American Idol after 15 years. That's beside the, the point, right? <clears throat> but in all seriousness, I, I really do struggle um, personally with with intimacy um, in relationships, and I've discovered during my adult years that I really have a hard time loving people deeply, and only because I'm an adult and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, I can really trace it back to um, my, my childhood and kind of teenage years um, where, you know, because of some of the circumstances of things that I went through as a kid, I just um, at some point kind of felt like tears and emotions were just kind of a waste of time. Because um, they didn't seem to really change anything in my circumstances. And so at some point, I think along the way, I just kind of said, you know what? I'm just going to kind of put more of my energy um, on just surviving and, and kind of getting through some things to get the life I was hoping that I would have as an adult. Um, and so tears kind of became a luxury for me that I just felt like I didn't really have the energy for. So the problem is this is that once you turn those emotions off, turning them back on is really difficult. And I've realized that the ways in which I kind of self-protected my heart as a child in some ways and a teenager, um, you know, keeps me now as an adult from engaging at the depth of emotions that I want to with people. 
And Summer, our counselor, is nodding at me, right? She's like, I've seen a million of you, right? It's how I pay the bills. So as a pastor, as somebody who's supposed to care for people, this is a tension that I exist in a lot because I know that Jesus had this ability when he was doing ministry to emote with people, to enter into, you know, whatever they were and, um, and kind of meet them on their emotional level. And so it's, I know it's something that I'm supposed to do as well. In John 17, right before Jesus is arrested, there's this long passage of him praying for different people and for different things. And this is one of the things he prays. <clears throat> In verse 3, he says this. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So in order to know Jesus... And in order to live in his way, we have to take a look at the things in his life that brought uh, emotion up to the surface for him. What was it that made Jesus cry? And what can we learn from that so that we can be caring as well? So the first example that I want us to take a look at today is an example of Jesus kind of shedding tears um, on the big picture. So I want you to grab your Bibles there. And open them to Luke 19, which is page 956. Page 956, Luke 19, we're going to start in verse 41. So this scene takes place at the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. A lot of people call this the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So verse 41 says this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem and over, you know, the kind of the Jewish nation as a whole. These people who for three years now have just kind of rejected his message. And we've looked at this passage before, um, but just in case you don't remember... Uh, the weeping that's described here, the original Greek language, the word used there, is, is describing Jesus weeping like in kind of an uncontrollable, loud sobbing. So it's not just a few tears. It's like a full-on, awkward, snot-filled cry fest. I mean, this is the image that we get of Jesus in this moment. And Jesus, as he stood there, was heartbroken Heartbroken for the people that had rejected him then during that time of ministry, but also heartbroken because he could see the future. And so, you know, he knew that in AD 70, about 35 to 40 years later, that the Romans were going to come in, and like it says here, they, they literally just knocked Jerusalem to the ground. And tens of thousands of just innocent people were slaughtered because they had kind of had this rebellion where they were trying to kick the Romans out. And so he weeped for that as well. And tears over big picture issues can come a little bit more easily for me. I mean, I wouldn't say like, you know, overwhelming, sobbing or uncontrollable, but I can certainly be, mu- be moved by examples of abuse, um, disease, slavery, war, 
and refugees, all that come with that on kind of a big level, um, kind of institutional and systemic issues, okay, um, and the unfortunate plight of mankind because there's just a lot of broken things in the world. But because I live in America, there, there's kind of this safe distance between me and those things, right? I'm, a lot of times I'm watching it on TV or I'm seeing it in a movie, and, and there's just this barrier there that keeps me distant from those things. And, and honestly, I don't know pretty much any of the suffering people by name. Or maybe I encounter injustice on a mission trip, which I've taken on many occasions. But honestly, I know that in just a few days, I'm going to get back on a plane and never see those people again. And whatever emotion I might have felt in the moment of being with those people and whatever injustice might be going on in their country, I know is probably going to kind of quickly fade as I get back into kind of my normal American comfortable surroundings. But Jesus also shed tears on a very personal level with people that he knew, friends and family that he kind of acquired along the way. And for me, that's, that's definitely the more challenging frontier, right, with a, with a person right in front of me um, where that barrier of distance is kind of removed and it's like, there they are, really nearby. And I know in those moments that that hurting person is expecting me to mourn with them in some way, to, to comfort them. Um, because people, you know, <laughs> I, I think in those moments, I don't want to be seen as, as hard-hearted. I don't want to be seen as like, you know, just somebody that doesn't care. And I know that folks have expectations, especially from a pastor, of like how I should feel for them at those times. And it's really frustrating for me sometimes because I, it's really difficult sometimes for me to, to meet them there. So I want you to turn your Bibles over to John chapter 11. We're taking a look at, at now Jesus really connecting on a really personal level with some folks. It's page 978. Look at verse 1 here. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so right away we see that there's this really deep connection there between Jesus and, and this family. And it really was unique in the Gospels. You don't hear this kind of language uh, about Jesus and his feelings for people like that, specific people. So let me summarize the story just a bit. We're going to kind of skip around some different parts here. But um, <clears throat> Jesus kind of immediately says that this situation was la- with Lazarus wasn't going to end in, in death. Then it also says that he, that he waits a few days before he goes. And that's kind of troubling a little bit. Um, and by the time that he actually reaches Bethany, messengers come out and tell him, Lazarus has already passed away, even though he knew that was going to happen. And many people say that he waited 
um, four days before getting there because the, the kind of the accepted superstition at the time was that a spirit of a dead person would kind of hover around the body for three days and then before it left. And so by the fourth day, somebody was really dead. So that's one theory there. But um, the next several verses, we see Jesus interacting with Martha and then Mary and then several of the townspeople that are mourning. And they kind of keep saying the same thing to Jesus. They say, Jesus, if you'd have been here, he wouldn't have died. And you can kind of take that down two paths. One can be kind of, this is kind of a positive spin of, hey, we believe that you have the power to heal. So we know that you could have done it if you'd have been here. The other way is a little bit more negative, kind of more like, because we knew that, what the heck took you so long to get here, (laughs) right? Don't you really care about this person? So let's pick it up in verse 32. It says, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying? So Mary and the crowd are weeping here. And it's the same word that was used to describe Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. So these folks are weeping kind of uncontrollably, sobbing, wailing. I mean, they are hurting here, okay? And verse 33 says that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And the better translation there is this. He became angry in spirit and very agitated. All right? And then we have this famous kind of shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, this, this use of the word weep um, has a different meaning than when he wept before. This one really does imply just a couple of really kind of soft, quiet tears. Okay? And I think there's maybe a couple of reasons for that. One is that He knew he was about ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. But secondly, he also knew that Lazarus was was in a relationship with him and that his eternity was going to be fine. So he was seeing the big picture here, I think. And there are many different theories on why Jesus was angry and agitated. He could have been uh, upset over kind of the lack of faith and some of the questioning that he'd received from people, kind of like implying that his timing wasn't right, that he had waited too long and didn't care as much as they thought he should. He could have been upset over just the, the pain and disease that affects all of human creation and, and the stubbornness of our hearts um, in ways that, you know, that leads to things that he didn't create us to, to experience. He could have been upset because he knew that conquering death to provide eternal life for all of us was going to cost him a lot in just a very few short days as well. And he could have been just agitated at the enemy and Satan and and his work in this world as well. (laughs) I was getting into it. Um, But the bottom line is this, is that Jesus wept. And probably for a lot of reasons. But one of those reasons, I think, was probably that the emotion that he saw in Mary. And that as a fellow human, that he wanted to connect with her and meet her in in what she was feeling at the time. Even though he knew the story would turn out good. In in just a few minutes, he was going to raise him from the dead. He didn't ignore the fact that there was pain there amongst one of his friends. 
And so Jesus set the example for us on a personal level as well. And, and Paul talks about this in, in Romans twelve fifteen when he reminds us this. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And as followers of Christ, <clears throat> we are to do our best to try to match the emotions of the people coming to us, whether they're rejoicing or mourning or whatever kaleidoscope of emotions they might be having somewhere in between. And sometimes, I don't know if this has been your experience, but for me, sometimes um, it's kind of hard to flip the switch, right? Because there's a lot of times like where I might be having a really great day, a lot of great circumstances in my life, things are going well, I'm generally happy, and then all of a sudden you kind of get blindsided by this other person who all of a sudden says, my parent died, my kid died, I'm getting a divorce or whatever, and it's like, you know, then you got to try to switch into matching their level of hurt and pain, and that's, that's tough. Or it could be the other way around. You could be distraught and going through some really tough things, and somebody comes along with this great news. Hey, I got a new job offer or whatever, and you're like, yay, you know? And, uh, you know, obviously I'm not saying don't be genuine, but, you know, it's difficult because what happens to happen a lot of times is we have to get outside of ourselves, and, and sometimes just our, even our, our own selfishness a little bit in order to, to be there for friends, uh, whether it's rejoicing or mourning. And I talk about this with my runners all the time because at the end of any race, um, when you have seven kids on a team, there's always going to be somebody who runs well and somebody who doesn't. And so if you're somebody that ran well, you can't overlook the fact that some of your teammates might be upset that they didn't do that well that day and just kind of ignore that. And the flip side is also true. If you're one of the kids that ran poorly, you can't just sulk around and throw a pity party when maybe one of your friends ran the best race ever. You've got to find a way to rejoice with them. And so it's a really good teachable moment for me with kids of, of getting them to understand that we're a team here and, and that we've got to enter into each other's emotions at different times. So... So is it as simple as that? Jesus cried, so I should cry, or else I'm a bad Christian. Or if tears come real easily to you, does that mean that you're really close to God and not a loser like Bob? Well, no, it's deeper than that. First, we have to connect with why Jesus wept. Why Jesus wept. And there's lots of answers that we could give to that, that question, but I mean, obviously, probably at the top of the list, it's just that he loved people deeply. He really loved people. And I think he also wept a lot of times because the reality of sin and death and its consequences were very clear to him. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that of the reality of the consequences of our choices and our actions. Do we truly believe in the consequences of sin and death? Does it bother us that by the billions people are rejecting God and, and kind of ignoring the, the sacrifices that Christ made on the cross? They're just kind of saying, ah, 
It's kind of irrelevant to me. Does that bother us? Or maybe those thoughts, those big picture thoughts are a little bit too nebulous. So let's, let's hone in a little bit more personally here. Okay? There was a guy named Father Anthony. Um, he was one of the most famous desert monks. These guys that used to go off in caves for decades in the 3rd and 4th century. And he wrote this. He said, whoever wishes to advance in building up virtue will do so through weeping and tears. We certainly see that in the psalmist, in the prophets of the Old Testament. These guys were were weeping all the time, (laughs) weeping over the brokenness of their own sin and the way that they saw that impact people, weeping over the brokenness of all humanity and especially over the nation of Israel and their hard-heartedness. But we see it in a lot of the heroes of the New Testament as well. Let's look at Paul, for example, a few different verses he writes where he shares a little bit about his tears In Acts, he says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. And then he writes specifically to the church in Corinth. He says, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. And then to the church in Philippi, he said, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul wept for all of humanity. He wept specifically for churches that he knew that he'd helped start with people that he knew by name. And he cared for deeply. And tears for me can come a little bit more easily sometimes when tragedy is kind of just thrust upon me. Um, I remember the first time that I went to Haiti when I was in college and we went to this um, hospital for um, children that were dying of tuberculosis. And so you walk into places like this, and, and I just got handed this, like, three-month-old girl who probably wasn't going to be around much longer. And I remember, I mean, I can see myself right now um, sitting in this chair by this window just looking at this anonymous child, and I mean just pouring tears, <laughs> You know, just thinking about the injustice of the fact that every kid in America gets shots for this and is not going to have to experience this kind of senseless death, really. I remember, you know, very specific moments from my life. Um, One of my best friends from high school, him and his wife um, had already gone through three miscarriages. And I remember getting the call um, that they lost their fourth child in about the sixth month of her pregnancy. And I mean, it was just... I couldn't handle it. I mean, I was just distraught. Um, it was so painful. Um, so, I mean, there's just some specific moments like that in my life where, you know, the floodgates just kind of get opened. I've sat with friends going through difficult marital problems sometimes, and just because I care about them, it's just hard to hear, and I can, I can cry in those times. But honestly, those tears are, are kind of spotty. Um, and all are really about things that are going on outside of me um, in other people's lives. And so let's get even closer. I want you to flip your Bibles over to Acts chapter 2. Just to the right a little bit, page 992. <clears throat> so this is shortly after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. 
And so the disciples that he left behind are kind of on the streets of Jerusalem now, sharing the story with the crowd of people that had just rejected Jesus, and many of whom had been, you know, chanting, you know, crucify him, crucify him. And so Peter, one of the disciples, in verse 22, he says this. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Skip down to 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned by the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Skip down to 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So Peter doesn't hold any punches, does he? I mean, he says to this crowd of thousands, you crucified him. Now, these people didn't actually nail Jesus to the cross, but their sins did, and so did ours. And so what he said to them could be said of us as well. And the crowd, when they heard this truth, verse 37 says this, they were cut to the heart, and they asked, what shall we do? Well, I believe that the beginning of being able to understand and experience Jesus' way of tears is to continually connect with the truth that our sins cost Jesus his life. That truth should cut us to the heart on a regular basis, as we acknowledge that our thoughts and our actions and our kind of sinful patterns in life that come out in the way that we speak and the way that we treat other people, that those are painful to God and they're painful to the people that are kind of caught in the crossfires of our sin. And we have to balance that knowledge with the equally true reality that despite our sinfulness, God loves us. And the Old Testament prophet Micah, he understood this. He said this in Micah chapter 7. He said, who is a God like you 
who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Who is a God like you? The sinful woman mentioned in Luke chapter 7 understood this. You remember the story she bursts into the Pharisee's house where Jesus is having dinner with this very important religious leader. And she lovingly weeps and kisses and pours perfume on the feet of her Savior who had forgiven her of much. My mom didn't come to Christ until she was kind of in her early 50s. And I remember those first few months just being at church with her when she would sing. And I mean, every week she cried. Just tears streaming down her face. It's kind of those dual realities of of her sin and brokenness kind of mixing with Jesus' forgiveness for those things. And it was kind of just hard to grasp and to deal with that amount of grace and love in her life. And maybe you responded similarly to God when your conversion was fresh. But those tears don't last forever. And before long, we can all kind of become callous to the depths of God's grace for us. We can become callous to our own sin. And it's our responsibility to not let our hearts grow cold. And every once in a while... That ought to manifest itself in tears. Tears for all of broken humanity. Tears for specific friends and family in our life that are lost and hurting. Tears over the stubborn sinfulness of our own hearts. Let me ask you this question. What does the absence of tears communicate about us? What's that? Lack of empathy? empathy? Yeah. What else? Pride? Pride? Yeah. What's that? Indifference? Indifference? Yeah. Concern for what others think of us? Okay. Honestly, sometimes it just tells us that we're really messed up deeper than we think we are that we've kind of shut those emotions off at some point in our life and we haven't really done the hard work of figuring out why so that we can be there for people. We've just kind of said, oh, that's just the way I am. And maybe that is the way you are now. (laughs) And it's not the way you have to be. It's not the way God wants you to be. It's not, you're not beyond Jesus' healing you in those areas. I love this quote by Richard Foster. He said this, He said, unless the emotive center of our lives is touched, it is as if a fuse remains unlit. Tears are a sign, not an infallible sign to be sure, but a sign nevertheless that God has touched this center. Through the prayer of tears, we give God permission to show us our sinfulness and the sinfulness of the world at the emotional level. 
that child knows about tears. And you and I both know that tears can't be conjured up just by, you know, singing the right sappy song or hearing the right touching story. It does it for some of you, but for most of us hard-hearted people, it doesn't do it like that all the time. Tears are a gift that we have to ask God for. Sometimes we just have to pray, God, give me the gift of tears because I'm not feeling it right now and I know that I need to and that I should. And I think a lot of that begins with kind of coming back to where those Jews were at in Acts chapter 2 of, of getting in touch again with our sin and what it cost Jesus to forgive us. And sometimes we have to enter into Instead of running from painful places with friends, family who are broken, and we have to enter in in our awkward state of not really sure whether we can match the level of, of, of their emotion or what they need from us in that time, we've got to go to those places even when it's uncomfortable for us. And for some of us, it's still hard to cry, to actually get that salty discharge to go down our cheeks, Right? And I know that there's a deeper or different, I guess, kind of tears, <laughs> tears on the inside, soul tears, like kind of a weeping of the heart. And I'm not saying that's any less valuable, but I'm just saying that once in a while, people really do need to see <laughs> tears rolling down our face for them. Like Mary needed to see it from Jesus that day. I'm sure that communicated a lot to her. So as we come to communion today, I want to challenge you to to enter into this time in a little different posture, maybe, than what it's become for you. Maybe some of you have really never had, you know, much feelings about communion, but it's, it's supposed to be a time of remembrance of what it cost Jesus to forgive us. And every once in a while, when we're doing communion, it should elicit some emotion in us if we're really in touch with our depravity. For some of us, it's maybe become just routine and just something we do every other week at Wellspring. And we need to pray, God, that it would become fresh for us again. And that maybe he would give us the the gift of tears. Um. Yeah, so I'm not going to let anybody out the door today that doesn't cry. So we just kind of decided that. So Brad Durham will be standing at the back punching people who are struggling, right? But during this time of communion, if those of you that haven't been here before, um, we just kind of give some silence for you to pray. And actually today I'm going to have a prayer that's going to be up on the screen that might just kind of help some of us that struggle um, praying and and crying sometimes to just kind of process that a little bit. So you can read that if you want. The ushers will dismiss you, and you can come forward. We'll have different servers up here. You can go to any line you want, tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup and take it, um, and then return to your seat, and we'll finish up with a song at the end. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I I just thank you for your tears because it just demonstrates to us the the amount of love that you have and just how much it pains you to see all of us um, settling for much less than you desire 
allowing our brokenness to get the best of us in ways that are hurtful and painful to you and to others. And God, I know sometimes our lack of tears is painful for you as well because you know that it's, it's born out of a place of, of hurt and self-protection and um, defensiveness in our spirit. But God, you want to break through those walls and you want to touch us in a place and begin to heal whatever it is that kind of keeps us distant from other people so that we can be used by you to be people of compassion and care. And Lord, in reality, your spirit is already in us if we have a relationship with you. So we're, we're fully capable of emoting at, at every level that you were. We just got to get out of the way and figure out what are some of the, the ways that we're blocking that from being released in us. So I pray for this time to be fresh for us today, God. That the meaning and the purpose of communion would hit us in a new way today. God, we would be reminded of what it cost you to lay your life down for us.